Welcome to the Kick Pod, your weekly DM on the stuff that matters. Hello there. Hello there. How's it going? <laughs> um, you know what? It's gone real good because I just had my first mango of the season and it was delicious and it made my day. Um, so I'm really happy right now. How are you? I, I'm with you. I feel like mangoes are a <laughs> symbol of summer in Australia, even though we're just in spring. It, I'm excited to get mine. And you said it was an Australian mango, so. Yep. Yep. They've just come into season. Okay. I'm definitely going to go get one today. Thank you. For- <laughs> I want to taste summer. I'm, um, I'm going good. I think, it, I mean, it's the start of spring and the smell of spring brings mm. me a lot of joy and happiness and I have been trying to get outside in the morning and do my kick workout outside and that's been really helping me find some joy in my day too. Yeah it's been so nice we Josh and I said that as well it was like literally the first day of spring and we went for our coffee walk in the morning and we looked at each other and through our masks we could smell the smell of spring it is such a distinctive smell and it was almost like a little bit humid it just made us so happy. It's so good. Oh, and oh my goodness, the most exciting thing is that we have the biggest thank you to say to all of you guys because you all got active on Sunday and we raised $20,000 for Are You OK Day. So at Kick, Are You OK Day is a really important day for us because it's all about prioritizing your mental health and actually asking people, Are You OK? And which is something we should do all the time, but but I think it's just mm. important to remember. And so on Sunday, we had so many of you get out and run and Kick donated $50 for everyone who did that to our goal of $20,000. So thank you. Yeah, it was super motivating um, doing it with you all and can't thank you enough for, for getting involved. So Are You OK Day is tomorrow, the official Are You OK Day. And, and obviously we encourage you guys to always check in on friends and family but it is a good excuse to send that message to someone who you may not have checked in on for a while so keep that in mind and if you enjoyed Sunday and you liked getting outside and running we've actually got another really really important activity and initiative that we are working on this month in September and that is for Connor's Run. So Connor's Run is something that we try and do every single year. It is to raise money for the RCD which is to raise money for brain cancer research and Mm. this year because obviously we can't do the run on the same day you can do it any time in September, which is awesome. So we will post some details about that in our show notes, but we would love for you to get involved and help support a special cause. Yeah, we're really excited to be supporting um, such an incredible cause. I remember last year, Lawsy, when we we went to the event, it was post our Bali trip and neither of us were (laughs) feeling very well at all, but it is such a beautiful event. And although it's virtual this year, very keen to get involved and I hope you guys are too. So now for our special shares of the week, Steffi, what have you got for us? My special share um, question, have you ever watched any of the Karate Kids? No, I have not. You've never watched any of them? No. (gasps) 
Okay, so first of all, I feel like you have to go watch all of them. But um, last weekend, Josh and I watched the newest Karate Kid with Jaden Smith in it. Um, And I forgot how much I loved that movie. I had seen it a few times, but Josh had never seen it. And I don't think he's seen the classics either. So I think I'm going to go back and watch the classics with him. But it's just such a beautiful movie with such an important message. And um, Jaden Smith's just like the best. Um, And I just highly recommend anyone that kind of saw that pop up. I think it came out like, I don't know maybe 10 years ago or something um and decided not to watch it back then watch it now it's such a beautiful movie uh I thoroughly loved it and it it just makes me want to go back and watch the other ones I will watch it this weekend thank you no worries (laughs) what's your special share so my special share is and I haven't spoken to you about this because I wanted to save it for here but have you watched I am woman yet on Stan no 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 you have to watch it I enjoyed it so much even actually Dalton and I watched it together and he loved it as well it if you haven't seen it it's kind of being advertised on Stan and all their banners but I highly recommend it it is about the inspiring story of Helen Reddy who is an Australian singer and how she grew to her fame and and she has the song or she wrote the song sorry I am woman which became Mm. the anthem for I suppose women and empowering Mm. women in the 1970s and it was really I mean obviously we weren't alive then but and I I know that obviously we've come so far with with our women's rights but it is just so crazy to be reminded of the way that she was treated in that time and and how Mm. far we have come and how she never gave up so I really really enjoyed it and highly recommend good one love that maybe I'll watch that this weekend you should (laughs) anyway now (laughs) now for today's podcast we are so excited about this one today we have got the incredible Michelle Andrews and Sarah McDonald on the podcast from Shameless Podcast. Now, this is the second time we have had the Mm. two of them on the podcast, which is super exciting. And they have grown so much since and Mm. gone through so much since we last spoke. So writing these questions was actually so hard for us because we had (laughs) so much that we wanted to speak to them about. And they've also just released their awesome book, called The Space Between. We highly recommend it. Really, Mm. really enjoyed reading it. And it's all about navigating your 20s and and the things that Zara and Michelle went through. And we touch on a lot of them today in a lot of details. We are really appreciative of how honest and open they were in the book Mm. and also with us on the podcast. And we hope you enjoy this one. Hello and welcome, Michelle and Zara, to the KickPod. How are you guys going? Hi. We're We're good. good. See, it's so funny when we're on Zoom chats because I'm trying to like look at Zara and see if she's going to talk first or if I'm going to talk first. (laughs) Both. Do you know what, Mish? We've ended up just always saying hello at the same time and kind of saying the same thing at the start of every interview. I feel like we kind of vibe it out, like we vibe who's going to go first. (laughs) We've kind of picked up on each other's body language via Zoom now, but yes, we're good. How are you guys? Yeah, yeah, we're good. We're very excited to be able to chat to you guys. You have so much going on, which we're obviously going to dive into in this podcast and so excited to chat to you both. You know, first of all, congratulations on everything. Um, But we want to start off to go a little bit deeper into that how are you question because are you okay day is coming up tomorrow. And we just think it's a really important conversation and question you should ask your loved ones or even a total stranger and just check in with people. And we love Mm -hmm. starting the podcast off that way. So how are you actually going at the moment? Ooh. Uh, 
I was honest about this on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, actually. I'm okay now. I feel like I have struggled in lockdown a lot with anxiety and just with kind of, I guess, overthinking. I know that Laura will probably relate to that because she is a chronic overthinker just like I am. (laughs) But I'm okay now. I think the first lockdown, I really deeply struggled, like probably the darkest point or the lowest point my mental health had been in years since I started seeing a psychologist and Zara saw a lot of that firsthand and it was probably difficult for both of us because I think anyone knows that if one of you in a dynamic like in a relationship with another person if you are struggling mentally that's also a big emotional and physical and mental load Mm. on the person who's trying to support you so the first lockdown was probably difficult for both Zara and I and a lot of that was probably on the back of my mental illness but at the moment I'm feeling a lot better I think I've been taking care of myself actually a lot better this second lockdown I've been eating much healthier I've been exercising more getting more sunlight in every single day and doing mindfulness and doing things that are really good for myself and I think it's probably crystallized for me the last few weeks in particular how important physical health and physical well-being is for your mental health like of course we talk about that all the time Mm. but I think I hadn't reminded myself how much those two things are linked and how much what you're putting into your body and how you're treating your body manifests in how you're feeling and how you're thinking about the world so Mm. I'm good now but I haven't been good and that's why I like are you okay day because I think it's a Mm. great chance to talk about these things Mm, absolutely what about you Zara yeah I think it's it's been an interesting time because I haven't struggled like with lockdown as a concept because I haven't minded going slower and Mm. I haven't minded like the pace of it all. But what I did realize was making me quite anxious and nervy was the fact that I had no separation from work and home. Mm -hmm. And that really started to impact my mind because with the book coming out, you know, all all of our August was hugely kind of I don't know I would say stressful I think that's the right right word Mish because Mm -hmm. we were completely overwhelmed and I realized Mm -hmm. because we had nowhere else to go and I had no distractions it was just the thing on my mind from the moment I woke up to the moment I went to bed and it's not the worst thing in the world for your biggest stress to be your work like at all but it was a weird time where we were kind of plagued with this very huge sense of overwhelm and stress and anxiety about putting all of these experiences out into the world. Mm. Mm, absolutely and do you feel in this time that because you have your incredible book well it has launched at this time congratulations it's it's just (laughs) amazing do you feel because you're going through this time where you've launched your first book that Mm. you should be happy and Mm. you feel more pressure to be okay because you're going through this time in your career that is so exciting I mean, it's so funny you asked that because last night I was on a video call with both my sisters and they were kind of like, what the fuck's wrong with you? Oh, I don't know mm. if I can swear. What's wrong no, with you? you, <laughs> you this, should be a really, <laughs> this should be a really exciting time. Like this is a big time for your career. Like you need to relish it. You need to be positive about it. So yeah, I do feel a little bit of pressure to feel really sunshiny about everything. Mm-hmm. But the mm-hmm. reality of this book to be honest, is there's a lot of emotion in there. There's a lot of light stuff. There's a lot of funny and like happy stuff. There's also a lot of darker or more serious stuff. So I think my mood right now kind of mimics that. Like I'm really excited and I'm so happy that this book is finally in the wild and that people can actually touch it and hold it and read it (laughs) and enjoy it. But it's also really daunting. I mean, some of the things we've both shared in this book are so intensely personal, so, so, so incredibly personal. And for so long, those stories belong to just us. Mm. And it's 
a bizarre experience to hold on to things, whether they're secrets or experiences of trauma or whatever, and to hold them to just yourself and the people you love the most in the world. And then to release them into the atmosphere and just let them live is such an interesting experience, but it's kind of freeing at the same time because it feels like the stories that we've told don't just belong to us. And that also means that they can now help other people, hopefully. Uh, I think think they will for sure. The other thing that I've been thinking of, and I'll be interested in what you guys think about this, Steph and Laura, is I have been feeling guilty about the fact that I'm not enjoying this process, right? That I'm like, how often does this happen? How often do you launch something that you've wanted to mm-hmm. do forever? And that mm-hmm. if, when you were younger, if someone said to you that you were going to be able to write a book, I would have said, that's it. That's all I want. Yeah. And yet I'm in this process and I'm not loving it because I just feel so intensely exposed and so the way I've been trying to make sense of it in my own mind is like okay if I don't enjoy it in the moment I bet my bottom dollar that I will be into be able to enjoy it with hindsight like get me through to December when kind of the hype is is well down (laughs) and I can look back on it in hindsight maybe I'll be into be able to enjoy it with hindsight and when the stress and pressure isn't there I don't know if that's ridiculous but that's Mm. what's getting me through no, I think no. that that makes total sense. I think we can both relate to that as well. There's been things that have been super exciting that have been worked on for a, a long time. And then when it finally launches, because there is so much involved in that launch and so much hard work, it can be overwhelming. And I think it is definitely down the track where you actually sit back and kind of pat yourself on the back and reflect on that is where you find the, I suppose, joy and everything that maybe we wish we had on on launch it's not to take anything away from the launch of an exciting project like we've just done with the kick app like Mm. we were ecstatic we were so happy and so excited but you know there's still a lot to do and there was still a lot around that launch so I think it is totally normal to launch something and then kind of reflect back back later and I think once you see the impact because I think the reason you shared so many of those stories Mm -hmm. is to help others as you said Misha and I think once you see the impact on people I feel like when I was reading it, I just wanted to call you up and be like, yes, like I feel like I'm talking to my internal thoughts that have actually been articulated in a way that I now understand because before I didn't, it was just a jumble in my mind. So I think you will just help so many people, but I I totally understand why it would be so hard because I mean, it's amazing how you've opened up so much, but you guys aren't like, you're not YouTubers. You're not like, I suppose, full Instagram influencers where you share your whole life you know every single second of it and so I feel like it would be so daunting Mm -hmm. and on that with writing this book what has been your biggest learning about yourself oh I love this question so much I think for me and I don't know if it's just through the book I think it's through the last 18 months in general being Mm. in the career path that we're now on The biggest learning for me has been that I am always a work in progress and it is really dangerous to ever get into the space of mind where I forget that or to think that I know more than the person next to me. I think it's actually a really liberating way to think about the world that I am capable of growth and I should be trying to grow every single day, every single month, year on year. And one of the best parts about this job is being able to look back on stuff that we did 12 months ago and go, I would not talk about that the same way. I do not think about that the same way. I would not consider that woman or that person the same way as I do now. And I think that's probably been the biggest lesson, certainly out of 2020 for me, that I am always capable of being and doing better. And I think that also helps us kind of process when feedback comes to not be defensive and not get our backs up and to always treat people with compassion because 
I do want to grow and I do genuinely want to improve as life goes on. Mm. And I think that's been a huge thing for both of us. Like when you are coming onto a podcast every single week, more than once a week and sharing your opinions about the world, it's only, it's like only natural that your opinions are going to evolve, hopefully. Like that's Mm. the ideal thing. But for me, I think the thing that I've been trying to take on board more in the last six months in particular, particularly because I kind of get kind of anxious when I look forward too much. Like if I look ahead and consider how thing, a project might be received or our work might be received, I tend to get stressed and just think about the worst case scenario. And I read this really great quote that I read to Mish on the phone this morning because I was like, it's been very clarifying for me. <laughs> and it was, um, I saw it on Instagram from um, one of my favorite people that I follow, Cleo Wade, and her brother wrote it to her. And I have it up because I wanted to read it. He said to her, I find that when I am thinking about the past, I am very depressed. And when I think about the future, I am very anxious. It's only when I completely and fully in the present moment that I feel truly connected to gratitude. Mm. And I think given how completely fucked 2020 has been, (laughs) it's Mm. so easy to look back and think that everything was so much better and you kind of have so much nostalgia about traveling or being around your friends and your family. And then you look forward and you get very anxious because you don't know how long we're going to be in this. Mm. And I think the only time when my mental health is really kind of centered and I feel very calm is when I'm only focusing on what's going on now. So that's what I've been trying to do a lot this year. Yeah, that's such a good point. A hundred percent. Couldn't agree more. And more to your guys' career that has absolutely blossomed. Like it's insane how much you guys have both done obviously individually, but together as a duo team with Shameless. It's really inspiring to see, you know, everything that you guys have done. You've got, you know, one of the most successful podcasts in Australia. And in your book, you spoke about the space between having a voice and being self-conscious about it. So Mm. as a business grows, you know, it can be harder and harder to still connect with that, I suppose, your first mission or your inner voice. Um, And we wonder like how you guys have gone about going with that and you know how how do you speak to like hundreds of thousands of people each week but still stay in touch with that inner voice of yours it's been a really interesting journey but I think no matter what Zara and I show up to work every day and we still feel like we are keeping women company and I think Mm -hmm. that is like the best job in the entire world to feel like we get to rock up and keep someone company when they're feeling lonely or they're driving into work or whatever. So yeah, it's it's changed a lot. Like obviously we started this podcast from our bedroom floors. Mm-hmm. We had no following whatsoever. We had no media budget and certainly no marketing budget or like any connections in the industry. So it has changed a lot to kind of go from that space into a space where we now have employees and we've got an office and mm-hmm. this is a business now. And of course, the bigger you get, the more opinions there are of you and the more you are kind of, I guess there's like a detachment, like there's you as a person and there's this idea of you and this construct of you in the public eye and people want to talk about that. And as much as that's been an interesting curve for us and that's been difficult at times, it's also kind of good at keeping us accountable. Like mm. I'm, I, part of me is really grateful for that, that we have people who want to talk about the show and people who want to weigh in and people who are passionate about it because that makes us ultimately better at our jobs. What do you think, Zara? No, I totally agree. I think that's a huge thing. And I think the reason that I wanted to write that essay in the book in our voice chapter about having a voice and having a platform but for being mm. very self-conscious about the stuff that comes out of my mouth is I think sometimes Mish and I give off this impression accidentally that we are like, very confident in the things we have to say and very self-assured and 
I think people get surprised when I say I get very nervous sometimes about the stuff that comes out of my mouth and I'm constantly second guessing what is being said on the podcast or what my thoughts are and I often don't feel smart enough to be able to kind of make a point or kind of articulate a thought and I think that's only natural like yes we are getting more sure of ourselves and what we think about the world as we get older but the bigger the audience grows probably the more unsure of myself Mm. I become sometimes and I do second guess that a lot and I think it's good for people to know that because I think a lot of women enter their 20s thinking that this should be the time where they have like a very firm voice and a voice that's very clear and I think it's the opposite I think our voices are in flux and things are changing and we don't always feel confident about the things we have to say. I think as well, like we've gotten to the place now where like the biggest shame would be to shut up. I think Mm -hmm. any woman who shares her opinion in the public eye is shouted down. And I think that's something we absolutely need to look at and correct because I don't Mm -hmm. think we do it to the same way to men, certainly not in the same personal way sometimes. But Zara and I have had so many conversations about this this year. And the biggest shame would be for any woman in the public eye who is opinionated and does want to talk about things that matter to her to just fall silent and Mm -hmm. to let that noise silence her and we don't ever want to do that and we would hate for any woman listening to shameless thinking that she should do that or she should stop saying what she thinks or stop using her voice in the way that makes her feel empowered and makes her feel like she's leaving a mark on the world so as much as the noise can be i guess not distracting it can be conflicting sometimes i don't ever want to stop doing what we're doing i think it's really true to who we are that we want to talk about the world and it's also okay to disagree like mm. we accept that some of the things we say on the podcast I disagree with myself week to week like <laughs> I'm sure I said things a couple of months ago that I would now listen and be like mm, I don't like is that fair and it's probably mimicking my mood that day and how I'm feeling that day and it's also fine to disagree like I'm so more yeah. than happy for someone to yeah. listen to the podcast and go I don't put a green tick next to every quote you said that day mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. It's to your point earlier about, you know, being open to learn and grow Mm. and everything for sure. And I think there's so much power in in what you both just said, because even though you feel self-conscious and you question what you say after you say it, you still show up every single Monday to your mic and you record again. And I think it's it's really important for anyone listening to remember that because I think people would look up to you guys as these two women that they are so inspired by and the way you articulate your thoughts is just so impressive that your vocabulary, like, so I honestly <laughs> listen to your podcast, I have to pause it and go and look a word up, but I love it because I learn while I'm listening. But I think it, it's really special to hear you say that you're actually not even 100% sure of what you're doing and what mm. you're saying because if if we look up to people and we put you on a pedestal, which so many people do and they're so inspired by you, I think it's really, really special to know that even people that we aspire to so much still have that self-doubt mm. and um, struggle with those thoughts in their head as well. Yeah, it's been a huge thing for us. Huge. And now for another beautiful chapter in your book, which you wrote, Zara, about balance and the space between success and sacrifice. And we'd love to touch on a decision you made recently to try and rectify some of this balance in in both of your lives. You recently shut your Facebook group because of the impact it was having on your mental health and the fact it was literally swallowing up. And from personal conversations I've had with you, Mish, it was swallowing up every second of your day that you had free can you talk to the process of of that decision and why it was so important to you both 
I think for us, a lot of people ask us this and wonder how quickly we made the decision to close the Facebook group. And Mish and I first had a conversation about closing the Facebook group about three months before we actually closed the Facebook group. And it's interesting because I would consider Michelle and I really decisive. Like the minute that we have a gut feeling about something, we make the decision, we move on, we don't dwell. And I think it's why we work pretty well together is that we are very decisive. But with this, we just had to sit on it for a while because a couple of things were going on. Firstly, the space had become its own kind of weird social media platform that we were suddenly having to moderate. And we were moderating every conversation because we wanted to make sure that a space that we had created was safe for everyone. And we had found that a lot of conversations that were happening that were very political, stuff like uh, conversations about racism and cultural appropriation, a lot of the burden was on people of colour and women of colour to explain their circumstances and their traumas to other people. And we wanted to make sure that we were there all the time, making sure that the conversation was safe for them. But the reality is when there's two or three people, and it was mainly just Mish and I, moderating this for 24 hours a day that stuff's going to happen when you're asleep or when you're at coffee with your parents or when you're going for a walk and trying to take some time off and we realized that we were probably never going to be able to create that safe space because we didn't want to give birth to another random social media platform that existed within a social media platform that needed police and policing we just didn't want that and also the other part of it of course was that we were getting messages at two o'clock in the morning to our personal Facebook account saying that the space wasn't safe. We were um, getting messages on the weekend. We would really, we would be out for brunch with our family, seeing them in the one time we see our families a week and something would be blowing up in the Facebook group and I'd have to turn around to the people at that brunch table and say, I'm really sorry, I've got to do this work right now. And I just kind of felt like we never had an ability to rest, like our minds were whirling all day, every day. And I have these very vivid memories of, sitting down to watch like a Netflix series of after a really long day and noticing that if I couldn't see my phone around me or if I didn't have it, you know, in arm's distance, that was suddenly a huge stress of mine because I was like, if I can't see my phone, I can't open it at any moment and I don't know if something's going to be blowing up in the Facebook group while mm-hmm. I'm trying to switch off. It's actually kind of crazy how slowly things got out of our control. Like looking back now, we started the group on the day we started the podcast. So for so long, it only had a couple of thousand members in there. It was not nearing, I think it was nearly 50,000 by the time we shut the group. So it was a slow rise. And I don't think we realized like across the days and across the years that it was simply impossible for two people to try to moderate almost 50,000. Like imagine (laughs) two people trying to police a party, a house party of 50,000 people where some people are cranky, some people are drunk, some people are tired. And as we know online, not everyone is kind. Not everyone Mm. takes the time to articulate their points or to listen to the other side or um, to debate and deliberate things the way they should. And it has been like far and away the best decision we made this year a hundred percent closing that group not just for ourselves so that we could get to the point where we were enjoying work again and feeling Mm. that work-life balance a little bit more but for the most important members of our community Mm. like we have such close contact with some of our listeners almost every week and I have not spoken to a listener who thinks that closing the group was the wrong decision Mm. ultimately It wasn't making Zara and I feel fulfilled. It wasn't making us happy. It was probably making us worse at our jobs because we began to resent working all day, every day, seven days a week. 
But also it's not good for people to be stuck in a situation like that. I just don't think it's very conducive for like healthy discussion or for kind discussion. And closing it felt so incredibly freeing. And I'm just so glad we did it when we did it because otherwise it would have really just kind of like tarnished everything. And it probably would have made me not enjoy work at all anymore and not want to come on the podcast every week. Yeah. And I think it was such a, I mean, brave, brave in a way, absolutely decision, but like such a good one for you guys. And I'm sure at the time there was a lot of like teething issues of, um, you know, the community being quite unhappy about it, but I'm, I'm really glad to hear that, you know, in hindsight, as we spoke of earlier, <laughs> everyone agrees that it was the right thing. Um, and as you said, for, for you guys mentally, it's so important to make sure that you still have time for yourself outside of work, no matter how much you love your job. If you're doing it all too much and it's consuming every other part of your life, it, it, it does niggle away um, and you don't want that. You want to stay passionate about what you guys are doing. Well, you know, the other thing that I've been thinking a lot lately, in particular because of lockdown, is that, and I think a lot of people would be experiencing this this year, is that if I spend all my time working, then it's really hard for me to kind of feel like I have an identity outside of work. And then if work starts to go badly, then everything starts to fall apart because I've got nothing else going on. And so it's a bit harder to control at the moment because there are very few things you can do apart from work right now <laughs> if you live in Melbourne. But I have had to make really conscious efforts when I can to make sure that I'm kind of like serving the parts of my identity that have nothing to do with work. So that if I'm having a bad work day, I'm not having a bad me day. I love that. Yeah, I think that's super important. You know, everyone loves an underdog, um, but there is a switch we feel that, you know, once you get to a certain level, um, you're no longer that underdog anymore. And some people, I mean, you guys have spoken about tall poppy syndrome on your podcast before. I, I loved that chat that you guys had. How does it feel for you two individually to have gone from basically being the underdogs to now two very successful businesswomen? Oh, see, it's weird even hearing you describe us that way because it's just, <laughs> um, I don't know. Sometimes our work feels so fake anyway because it's just like <laughs> us and we very see virtual. this number and we put it out and we don't, it's not until you like meet a listener in person or you go to a live show or you like interact with them face to face that it kind of hits you that, oh my God, there are actual people that listen to this every week. They're not just numbers behind a screen. Um, I mean, it is different, right? Like going from being underdog to being something that is more established and I guess more recognized and more publicly known is absolutely a transition. Um, I, th- I think it has like its positives and it's negatives to it as well and that Mm. it's been great we've been able to hire employees and we've been able to meet incredible people through this job like the connections we've made and the relationships we've built and the friendships we've made as well along the way has been so fabulous and yes there is more pressure like we're not going to get on here and say that (laughs) there's the equal amount of pressure of what we said in the first year of doing the podcast absolutely like when you have on a Monday episode there will be a hundred thousand people who listen to it within a couple of weeks and you are always going to have people who listen to it and don't like it or listen to it and want to tell you what they thought about it. And that's confronting. But at the end of the day, my psychologist told me something actually in a therapy session a couple of months ago when I was struggling a little bit with this topic. And she said, Michelle, think of your favorite authors in the world. Think of your favorite musicians. Think of your favorite artists. And 
tell me like what do you like about them what do you like about their favorite their best works and so I was kind of talking to her about my favorite books and talking to her about my favorite songs and she said okay when you go home I want you to google the reviews of those Mm. books and those albums Mm. and so I did that I looked up the reviews of Sally Rooney's Normal People which is one of my favorite books ever I think it's such a brilliant work Sally's in her mid-20s she's an incredible writer incredibly artistic and I looked at the reviews and it was really interesting that in the beginning of the book being out everyone was giving it five stars or four stars and really raving and it wasn't until it got super popular that people started to be like I want to pick out why this isn't as good as what people Mm. think it is and people started leaving scathing reviews like the Mm. reviews left since normal people became an absolute bestseller were quite harsh and quite negative and I was looking at that and being like well okay like that's fine like Mm. I doesn't change my view of Sally Rooney I still love Sally Rooney I still think she does incredible work and yes no matter what people will want to point to something that's popular and have an opinion about it and sometimes Mm. that opinion will be a contrary one but that's fine like that's okay and Sally Rooney's still incredible and this doesn't say much about her at all in fact and I think the other thing to note is like, <laughs> I like I, I know exactly what you're saying, Mish, because we've had this conversation back and forth, but it's not just stuff that's popular. It's like, it's not just because things are popular that people suddenly don't like it. Like some mm. people may have very legitimate reasons to mm. not like the things that yeah. we do just because it is, you know, yeah. and I am okay with that. Like I'm getting better at it. I've always mm. had a personality where I've cared way too much about <laughs> what people think of me. And so it's a pretty fucking stupid line of work to go into <laughs> when you have that personality. But I think the thing that I've been saying a lot and particularly in the wake of us releasing this book is like, how can I possibly be so arrogant to assume that my work is going to be the first work that ever enters the world that is going to be universally loved? Like, <laughs> yeah. What about me means that I deserve that? And I don't, of course not, particularly when it comes to this book. There are only so many experiences that we can write about because we're a certain type of person. Michelle and I mm. are both, you know, white, middle-class, straight women mm. who are able-bodied as well. Like, there's only so many ex- experiences that we can write about. We aren't going to reach every woman through this book, but I hope through the podcast and the other work we can do, we can tell enough stories that enough people feel seen across, you know, the portfolio of work that we put out. I yeah, think totally. Well, it's also important for us to remember like who we're appealing to the bigger you get like I'm sure we have some men in their 50s turning into the podcast and like does their opinion of us matter as much as what <laughs> our heartland and our <laughs> existing audience does like the bigger you get sometimes you reach a target demo that is just absolutely not your target demo and yes they might not appeal to you like we get told all the time you guys sound really young I'm in my 40s or 50s and I don't really care about stuff in your 20s and that's okay like, I don't need to appeal <laughs> to every person on Turn it up. Yeah, no, totally. It's it's exactly to that point. The bigger you get, the more opinions you're going to reach and um, they're not always going to be your demographic. But what about when it comes to tall tall puppy syndrome and everything? Have you felt like the support that you've gotten from, you know, maybe certain groups of people or anything has changed since you guys have become more successful? Um, I don't know. I don't... I don't think so. I think the noise has got louder for sure. Like we could not deny that. The noise is very loud sometimes, some Monday mornings. But the support, we've had a pocket of listeners who we know by name and we have conversations in our DMs and over our emails who have been with us from the start. And they are very loyal people. Like they know where we've come from and where we are now. And we've seen those names now pop up for two and a half years and they are 
some of our favorite listeners because they are some of the most loyal and they will often be the first to pull us up on stuff and be like, hey guys, did you consider something from this perspective? And they often say it in a very respectful way that makes us far better at our jobs. So Mm. I don't think the nature of our kind of core support has changed because um, I think we're very lucky to have had pretty loyal, loyal people be with us Mm. from the start. I mean, it's also, I guess it also brings in like, how do you define support? Because if Mm. we, I think it's always easy to look back in hindsight and be like, oh my God, people used to like be way more supportive than they are now. But realistically, the podcast is the biggest today that it's ever Mm. been. Mm. And it's like supporting us is just tuning into the show every week and engaging with the show or sharing it on your feed. So I think it would be easy to look back and be like, oh, things used to be different. But realistically, the stats kind of show that they're not and that we do have so much support now. And I think it's just important for Zara and I to remember every week why we do this and who Mm. we do it for. We don't do shameless for every person under the sun. We do it for people who we want to reach out to and people in their 20s and their 30s and women that we care about and men that we care about. So, yeah, I think it's easy to look back in hindsight and remember things slightly differently to how they were. And we're just, like, honestly stoked. Like, even though this job has its difficult aspects, I'm so stoked to be able to say that we work for ourselves and we put out content about pop culture and reality TV every week and that's our job. Like that's an incredible position to be in. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I love what you said, Zara, about the arrogant thing. I'm just going to, it's so funny. You almost, when you're in your head, you have to laugh at yourself and it works. (laughs) So now we'd love to touch on another section of the book, which is a section you wrote, Mish, about um, navigating adult friendship. And I think that is something for especially women in your 20s. I mean, up until your 20s when you're in high school, your friends are kind of the people that are in your class and you're not friends with them really because you have the same hobbies. It's because, you know, you're in the same 8am science class every single week or whatever it might be. And I loved the way you wrote about a friend that you lost um, and the way you kind of navigated that because I think it's something that so many women struggle with and I think we often hold on to old friendships not because they serve us or if they're good for us and a lot of the time they are toxic but we hold on to it just because it was an old friend that we should stay friends with. Mm. Can you touch on that for us? Yeah so I wrote about a friendship breakup which happened on the cusp of my 20s and it was with a person that I've been really incredibly close friends with almost sisterly uh, for a long long time before that and the interesting thing about writing that essay and writing that piece was probably because over the last six years I'd always thought oh she changed like she changed and we weren't compatible anymore and she was a toxic friend and in some ways she was a toxic friend But the more I thought about it, the more I realized I was probably a toxic friend as well. Like it wasn't that she was purely at fault and I was this angelic, perfect friend. In reality, we weren't good for each other anymore. And we got to a point in our lives where we had a really negative effect on each other. And in many ways, we brought out the worst in each other. And I think that's the interesting thing about your 20s that I don't think there's, I mean, I haven't lived many decades of my life, but from what I've heard from, (laughs) what I've heard from the people closest to me like my mom and my grandmother and stuff your 20s are this period of profound change where Mm. you are really thrown out into the universe and you have to kind of make it and part of making it is figuring out who the fuck you are and when you do that I think you sometimes do need to shed 
people who aren't in line with where you want to go or aren't on the same page as you anymore and when we were writing the section on love which had so much to do with family and romantic relationships I was kind of thinking about it being like the biggest heartbreak of my 20s would be losing my best friend and feeling like we once knew everything about each other we were once so so incredibly close that we would speak all day every day and now I have no idea what's going on in her life I have no idea what she's doing no idea how her mum is or her family is and I just needed to put that essay in the book it was actually one of the last essays that I wrote but I needed to put it in because I do think it speaks to such a clear experience that so many women share that yes you are going to lose friends and you are going to have quite messy breakups with your friends and that's okay like you don't need to hold on to people just because they've been in your life for a long time it's actually quite healthy sometimes to look at each other and go okay we've become different people and we would be happier and better off if maybe we didn't have this relationship or this intensity with each other anymore I also think I, I think I felt this more this year than ever, that when you're going in the middle of a pandemic and you're not socialising with anyone. So you've got to purely socialise with people either over text messages or over the phone. And I got to this point and I was like, where is everyone? Like, where are all those friends that I feel like I have, right? And it's like, oh my God, I'm 26 and my, my circle's actually much closer, or much smaller, mm. sorry, than I had probably let myself realize. And it's just been a very slow, either you have those very intense breakups or you have a very slow process of yeah. just shedding people that kind of fall away and it's not personal. And if you bumped into them in the street, you'd have a lovely chat, but they're just not in your life anymore. And I remember having that thought being like, oh shit, <laughs> how many people have I got left? And you realize that those friendships are kind of the most beautiful ones because they're so much more intense because you have so much more in common and they serve you completely and they all serve a different purpose and that's a really lovely and freeing thing to realize I think so many people take it very personally and feel very insecure Mm. about doing friendship wrong because they feel like they don't have enough people around them but I think if you've got a few key friends who serve you then you're doing perfectly perfectly well yeah absolutely we always speak about you know friendship being quality over quantity and I think it becomes even more obvious as you get older for sure I think I had you know I think everyone did but you know in high school I remember my dad telling me like you know you're not going to have the friendship group that you've got now like moving forward for the rest of your life and I was like what are you talking about (laughs) and you know there's probably only a handful of those friends that I had you know before I turned 18, basically, Mm -hmm. um, who I'm still close with. And as you said, Zara, it's like, it's not always, you know, a terrible breakup that means you don't speak to that person ever again. Um, If they do fall away, it can just, you can just kind of grow apart. Um, And it is, it is sad when you do reflect back on it, but it's just a part of growing and the people that you then meet and grow really close to. And I'm sure you guys were the same as Laura and I, when, when you met each other, it's like, Oh, where have you been on my life? I feel like Isn't I've only- it weird? <laughs> making a friend in your twenties. Maybe that should have been an essay in the book. Right <laughs> making a friend in your twenties is the best. Cause yeah. I think when you're in your twenties as well, you have a firmer idea on the kind of people you want to surround totally. yourself with. Like in school, you're right. It's a matter of proximity. Like who am I closest to physically all the time? And you kind of bond that way because you have mutual shared experiences. But then in your twenties, you're like, no, who? has values like me or has the same sense of humor or whatever and I remember meeting Zara years ago how long have we known five years now I've actually never kept track let's call it five I think since we're 20 or 21 we've known each other so about five years I remember being like what the hell like oh my god a new friend best thing ever and I think 
that's the beautiful thing about friends in your 20s because you you probably are a bit more selective and you do get to Mm -hmm. find people who are really on the same page and really click with so it's been awesome to not just meet Zara through that job but we also made a couple of other really close friends Sophie and Brittany and I absolutely adore those women and yeah that's the thing like you will lose friends in your 20s but you'll also find some and those friends will probably be friends for life absolutely couldn't agree Mm. more um so another hard thing to navigate in your 20s which you guys spoke about in the book was uh, other relationships outside of friendships Mm. you know people that you love and relationships you go through and you had some very hilarious examples of (laughs) some of the types of people you met (laughs) but as you said Michelle earlier your book is full of funny stories but also you know some really deep stories as well and Zara we're incredibly inspired by your bravery with opening up about your relationship with sex and how that's affected you and how you know that kind of came to fruition around the age of 18 can you talk to us a little bit about that I feel like you know it's incredible reading a story like yours because it absolutely needs to be read by so many others and it's just really inspiring to to hear it come from you it's a funny story to tell, not haha funny at all, but like it's still it still genuinely floors me that I haven't read it anywhere. Like I don't yeah. haven't seen it really anywhere. And so basically when I was about 17, I came into a lot of pain. So I was diagnosed with two things. I was diagnosed with endometriosis and vaginismus. And mm. vaginismus made sex almost impossible because it was so, so painful. It was like mm. the most painful thing I'd ever experienced. And I kind of kept that to myself for about seven years. I didn't really tell anyone on the face of the earth. Um, and I didn't, I didn't find a way to fix it or heal it over the course of seven years. And... I was in a very dark place for a very long time because of it. I mean, when I look back and I think there were seven years where I was holding something to myself where I didn't tell my best friends. Like I didn't use that word with my friends Mm. until maybe last year. And when you think about that, you kind of wonder, like, how did you not self-combust? Like, how did you not completely fall apart when you're holding something to yourself like that? And the reality is I probably did. Like I was in a very bad place for a very long time. And I remember last year we did an episode of Love Etc., Mm. the podcast we would produce for Bumble and Mish and I decided to have a conversation about it and it was the first time I'd actually properly spoken about it it was the first time my thoughts had actually ever become words Mm. and I realized I was inundated I think with actually thousands of messages from women who were like oh my god like me too and then a year has since passed and I still haven't read or heard anything else about it Mm. and so I wrote this essay but I think I, I wrote a version of this essay where I've I tried to keep parts of the story to myself. Um, so I started writing this essay and I submitted it to our editor and I sent it to Michelle and about two weeks later it got sent back and the feedback was just a bit like <laughs> this is a bit of a dog shit piece of work. And I said We did Mich- not say that. You I just- said that to myself though. But the editor was like, <laughs> Can we rework this? And I sent it to Michelle and I remember Michelle saying, You're trying to tell the story without telling yeah. The whole story. And if you are going to tell a story this personal, sometimes you need to give a lot of yourself over. Um, and so I think because I was trying to protect myself. Yeah. And so I ended up rewriting this story in about three hours. And I thought I'm just going to write it completely differently. And I wrote it completely differently. And I put every single thought I had actually thought about it on paper. And it was a bit hard. Like I, cr- I cried as I was writing it. And I don't yeah. do that very often. I don't, I don't think Mish does either. I think there's probably a few essays in there though that we, I was actually crying as I wrote it. And I started to feel quite shaken, but I'm, 
I'm happy that I did it. I, I am. It's uh, it's a weird thing for someone like my mum to read because I didn't talk to her about it either or my sister. Um, but I think the best part of the story is that the minute I started talking about this, the better my, like my life got because the pain started to fade um, mm. because I was just feeling so much shame about what I was going through. I was so embarrassed and I felt so much shame about it and... I think the minute I stopped feeling that shame, the more my body stopped seizing up. I think you could feel that emotion through the chapter as well. And I think as as we keep saying, it's just so brave how personal you went in the book and I think how you explained that when you met your partner now Ollie and you sent him the Love Etc <laughs> recording that you never listened to yourself, but you sent it to him and you were so open. And, and I think that is just so inspirational well, i remember you know that, that story is? i, I remember that credit. day actually zara when you're like <laughs> i know should i send it to him and i was like what do you mean you're like i'm gonna ask for his email i was like oh my god we'd been well, i think we'd been dating for a week or two and i was like well at some point probably now i'm gonna need to explain this situation i can't really keep putting this off and i think that's just a credit to how much i trust michelle because we did the interview so i trusted her to do it with me and then i trusted her to edit it and i hadn't listened to it back but i trusted her when i said should i send it to him and you said <laughs> Yeah, why not? Were we on a tram? We no, we were sitting in your um, parents' study. I think you had floated the idea. We'd right. done another recording that day. We went home back to your house. We were sitting at that trestle table in your parents' study, and you're like, "Should I just send it to him?" And I was like, "Look, it'll be a great way. Like, if he runs now, you know that." you're not going to waste your time on him. Like, this is a great test to see what kind of guy he is. And from that day, I'm like, Zara needs to marry that man one day. He's the best. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's so special. And Mish, now for your story that you shared. Mm. Um, You shared navigating friends with benefits. And I think it's something that so many people will feel so much comfort in reading and, and they'll feel heard. And you wrote that, the world might not recognise what happened to you and you call it a situation, situation. <laughs> but you should. You might still think about them for years to come, not because you want them. You'll, so- you'll soon learn that you deserve so much better than what they gave you, but because they showed you how great things can be. Mm. You used an analogy of a twiggy stick, <laughs> which I loved, <laughs> and meals. Um, can you talk us through this experience? Yeah, so this is something that I probably, touching on shame before with Zara, and I know this is such a frivolous topic compared to vaginismus and things like vulvodynia or endo, so I'm not comparing them. But I do think for a long time as a young 20-something, I felt shame about the fact that I fell in love and experienced my first romantic heartbreak with a guy who didn't even give me any Mm. level of commitment. Mm -hmm. Like, I had a bit of a relationship breakdown or situationship breakdown or whatever you want to call it when I was 20. And I was completely and utterly devastated over it, completely heartbroken over it. And speaking to my friends, particularly one of my best friends, I knew that she had the same experience, that he wasn't her boyfriend, but she was just as shattered and just Mm. as... Um, I guess she was just reeling as much as if it was a boyfriend. And so I just wanted to write it in the book. Like I think it was one of the first essays I actually wrote that one 
because I was like, this is such a unique experience and it's so delegitimized. Like, I feel like when we talk about heartbreak, we only talk about heartbreak when someone has gotten a divorce or someone's broken up from a long-term partner. We don't talk about the heartbreak that is a little bit messier and a little bit more blurred. And yeah, when that guy basically just ghosted me. So we were dating... I think for four or five months and he just disappeared off the face of the earth and then was dating someone else that I kind of sort of knew of. I was shattered, absolutely friggin' like beside myself for so, so long. And I remember it made me question every piece of myself to be like, okay, not only did I feel like I was in love with him and he didn't want me, he wanted someone else instead. And that's such an interesting thing to wrap your mind around as well as a young person to be like, what is it about me that is not as good as this other person? Why didn't he want me? What makes me not desirable? What makes me not lovable when I feel all these things about him? So it was so good to write that essay because now I'm in an incredible relationship with my partner. We've been together almost five years and I love him more than anything under the sun. And I think it was good to be able to almost talk to my 20-year-old self and be like, if you think that's what love is, wait. Just wait yeah. until what's coming down the track. If you're in love with someone who doesn't even want to commit to you and yeah. doesn't even want to call you their girlfriend and doesn't want to introduce you to their mum, just wait until you meet someone that is even better and wants all those things with you and wants to make those sacrifices for you and wants you in their life as a permanent fixture. Because you can't even compare the amount of joy that you get from one to the other. And I wish I could go back to my 20-year-old self and say, if he's not making you feel like you are wonderful and you are fine as you are and you are enough, he's not worth it. Like, please do not waste any more energy on someone who makes you feel like you are always a little bit lesser than or not good enough or never going to be on their level. So, yeah, we kind of awkward if I ever bump into that guy in public. It's literally like a living fear of mine that we're going to see each other at the supermarket or something. But Who cares? Say, hey, I'm so happy that you broke it off because now I'm so happy. I'm well, like, not even broke page it off. So happy you ghosted me. <laughs> <laughs> and I think something that, that also you spoke about in that chapter, Mish, that I loved was how often in those type of relationships there's no evidence of you on social media. Mm. And you spoke about how when, it, when he ghosted you, you couldn't really even console that many people because you didn't have like couple friends because no one knew about you because you were always in private. Mm. I think that's the thing, right? And I think so many people listening to this will probably be in a situation ship and be like, fuck, yes. Because <laughs> you kept a secret. You're basically a secret. And then they can ghost you and it's like you never existed in the first place. Like no one knows you were even a thing. And I think that's the funny thing about some men, particularly, or all women, but particularly men in their early 20s who don't want to commit. They kind of want to keep you at this halfway point. They want Mm. all the benefits and all the good things out of a relationship, like regular sex and fun (laughs) dates and whatever, but they don't want any of the tricky stuff or anything that remotely changes their way of life. Mm -hmm. So I hope, I mean, I sent this essay to my friend who was in a situation ship and had her heart absolutely trampled on. And she said that she felt seen by it. So I really, truly hope that other people reading it feel the same way because it's quite a unique experience, but it's one that really affected my early 20s. Oh, I think there'll be so many people who can relate to it. And even if it's not exactly the same, I mean, I related to certain feelings that you were talking about to one of my first serious relationships where um, I was being cheated on for like two years Mm. and I knew he wasn't the best boyfriend in the world, but like I was so infatuated by him that I just wanted to stay there and hope that one day he was going to turn around and like have those same feelings back. 
<laughs> so yeah, I think it's definitely something that everyone would be able to take from. And again, it, it was such a, a roar and um, how deep you went with all your feelings mm. and stuff is just is so amazing. Um, we're going to finish off with a bit of a fun question. <laughs> so if someone was to make a movie out of your book, <laughs> who would play you both? Oh, Zara, you can go first. Um, Michelle reckons Margot Robbie would play her. Oh, shut <laughs> up. Thank you. You're the one who gets on our podcast like every week and says that if you took up acting classes, you would be the next Margot no, Robbie. No, always, I've always said I never took drama classes and it scares me what my potential <laughs> could have been. Um, give me Emma Stone if you would like. If you would. Nice. I feel like Emma Stone's a good level of like awkward and cool for you, Zara. Oh, yes. That's actually a good pick. Yeah, she is cool. Um actresses who would like to play me see it's so hard because every time i think of an actress i'm like she's so hot that sounds so arrogant for me to be like <laughs> but, if, but actresses like are hot hollywood's just yeah. a hot industry you know who i get told all the time and actually is one of my favorite actresses and i'm sorry it's a little bit niche so she's not as like big as the emma stones of the world phoebe waller bridge who is the star of fleabag i get told all the time that we are a bit of doppelgangers for yes. each other and she, Fleabag is one of my all-time favourite shows. I think I actually gave it a shout-out in one of the essays in the book because I, I love it Google. so much. I need to Google. How do you spell yes, they look name. like. They so do. Phoebe <laughs> and then Waller, W-A-L-L-E-R, Bridge, with a hyphen in between. Bridge like the thing you cross. <laughs> I haven't seen her before. Yeah. I get told all um, the time. I literally get, um, Zara gets told she looks like Conrad Sewell and I get told <laughs> I was going to bring that up. What would you prefer? Shit. <laughs> Have you met Conrad Sewell? No, nah, I can't wait to though. He never we, responds. Um, we've had an encounter with him. Have oh you? my God, really? Where? He, he did. He sung it, um, something we did and um, he didn't engage with us at all and he wore a hoodie. See, every time I tag him, I often give Zara shit for everyone saying she looks like Conrad Saul and I often tag him in our memes and I'm always expecting him to respond and be like in on the joke with us and I don't mm. think he loves the joke at all. <laughs> he probably doesn't. <laughs> oh, well, on that note, thank you so much um, for this conversation. It, it was so hard writing the questions for this because I think we could just speak to you two for hours because you have just got so much wisdom. So thank you so much for taking the time. Yeah, and we highly, highly recommend The Space Between. If anyone, you know, even got a glimpse of this podcast and thought that they were interesting stories, you should read the book. There is so much in there um, and there's something that I feel like so many would be able to relate to, particularly our listeners. So good job, guys. Congratulations. Thank, Thank you, you guys. And you two have been so supportive of us from day one. Like, obviously, you guys came on the podcast, I think, when we were only a month or two in. <laughs> and we will always be grateful to you for that. Because as you touched on in this, like, about success and about um, growing and being at a certain size, one thing I've always admired and continue to admire about you two is no matter how big you are, you will always try and lift other women up with you. So... Thank you for having us on again. We love you and we love your work. And this was a really fun chat. It was really fun. Thank you for being such a thoughtful question askers too. We had a lot of time. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Well, we hope you guys enjoyed that chat. It's always a pleasure to chat to those guys. And honestly, couldn't recommend their book enough. It is full of the most raw and relatable stories in there. And I actually really enjoyed it. And I know Michelle has pointed this out a few times. Um, you know, they're only 26, so they're not all the way through their 20s. And I think it was really cool to 
hear a perspective and, and I suppose have those like fresh memories in their mind and be ready to share them whilst they're still so young and whilst they're still learning. I think it's really cool to see people share so much raw and, and real stories um, when they're still learning. I think that's something that's like you feel like until you know everything, you can't share those sort of things. But I love how raw it was and that the, girl, the girls did do that. So um, highly recommend that book. Hope you enjoyed the podcast. We'll pop their details in our show notes so you can find out more about them um and if you would like to catch up again next week we'll be here we won't uh, we're going oh, we're on a not. break oh we're not we're going on oh a my break. god i forgot our two-week break but don't worry we'll be back after that it's a very we'll be quick back. break and we'll be back for season four <laughs> well you can find us on instagram of course as always at keep it cleaner at laura.henshaw at steph claire smith and our website if you want to find out any more about keep it cleaner is www.keepitcleaner.com.au thank you guys and we'll see you after the break bye Thank you.